Welcome to the Shortwave Report. I'm your host and producer, Dan Roberts. This Shortwave Report is a 30-minute review of news and opinion heard on a shortwave radio and the internet in Northern California. Listening to international broadcast at home is quite easy. You just need a shortwave radio with a schedule of English language broadcast or a computer or smartphone with an internet connection. To help you with this, I'll announce times, frequencies, and website addresses at the conclusion of each series of stories. At the website for this show, that's outfarpress.com. You can listen to the past five shortwave reports, find advice for listening to shortwave at home, and find internet links for global news sources. Please check it out and tell a friend. In today's edition, you'll hear reports from Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle, Sputnik Radio, Radio Havana Cuba, and NHK Japan. We will begin with Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle. The Belgian government has agreed to shut down their nuclear power plants by 2025. German and Chinese leaders discuss deepening bilateral ties. Germany and Russia are at odds over a murder charge, Putin says that the West must guarantee no further NATO expansion, and Ukraine is testing new U.S.-supplied missiles. Then brief COVID and vaccine news from Europe. Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle. Belgium's government has agreed in principle to shut down the country's existing nuclear power plants by 2025. The ruling coalition agreed a compromise deal after long negotiations. But the prime minister says he may ultimately decide that some reactors should be kept open if the country's energy security can't be guaranteed. German Chancellor Olaf Scholz and Chinese President Xi Jinping have discussed deepening bilateral ties during their first phone call. President Xi reportedly urged Chancellor Scholz to explore new areas of cooperation such as clean energy and digital technology. China is Germany's biggest trading partner and the single most important market for the German car industry. Right now, Russia has expelled two German diplomats in response to a spat with Berlin over a German court ruling. Last week, judges ruled the Kremlin was behind the assassination of a Chechen exile in Berlin, calling it an act of state terrorism. Berlin says the latest expulsions would further strain bilateral relations. Russian President Vladimir Putin says the West must provide guarantees that NATO won't expand eastwards to include Ukraine, nor deploy weapons there. This comes against the backdrop of weeks of international concern over Russia's troop buildup on its border with Ukraine. President Putin was speaking at a four-hour-long news conference in which he addressed a broad range of issues. And on the topic of Ukraine, he accused the West of building up tensions. Not one inch to the east is what we were told in the 1990s. And what happened? We were duped. We were brazenly duped. There were five waves of NATO expansion. And now these missile systems are appearing in Poland and Romania. That's what we're talking about. You have to understand, it's not us who are threatening. We didn't come to the borders of the US or the UK. You came to us. That was President Putin speaking earlier today. 
Ukrainian military forces have tested U.S. anti-tank Javelin missiles in the country's east. That's amid military tensions with neighboring Russia. The chief of the country's Security Council says 120,000 Russian soldiers are stationed near Ukraine's border and where they've been carrying out shooting drills. Germany's Infectious Diseases Agency has warned that Omicron will become the country's dominant variant within weeks. The Robert Koch Institute says the country's health system and critical infrastructure could be compromised if the latest wave is not stopped. The government has responded by stepping up vaccination efforts and tightening restrictions on gatherings. There'll also be limits on social contacts, but not until after Christmas. New Zealand has postponed opening its borders amid concerns over the Omicron variant. Quarantine-free travel is now possible for New Zealanders only from the end of February onwards. In Australia, infection rates have surged with the state of News of South Wales reporting 3,000 new cases on Tuesday alone. But the Australian government has been reluctant to impose new restrictions. The European Union, meanwhile, has approved the use of the Novavax vaccine in people aged 18 and older. European medicines agencies said data shows the vaccine has an efficacy of around 90 percent. Portuguese bars and restaurants will now close from the 26th of December, five days earlier than scheduled. Infections in Portugal have risen sharply, despite a vaccination rate of around 90 percent. Israel has announced it will begin offering a fourth dose of COVID-19 vaccine to medical personnel and people over the age of 60. This comes amid concerns over the Omicron variant. And the EU's COVID-19 pass for travel will now expire nine months after vaccination unless the holder has a booster shot. The new rule is due to come into force in February. Authorities on both sides of the Atlantic are scrambling to slow a highly contagious variant of the coronavirus. In the U.S., top health official Anthony Fauci is urging people to get booster shots, wear masks, and reconsider travel plans as the Omicron variant spreads. That's as other European governments clamp down on public life to battle the new strain. The Netherlands has become the first to impose a strict lockdown over Christmas. China has locked down the city of Xi'an, home to 13 million people in response to just over 200 COVID-19 cases. China has pursued a zero-case strategy. The measures come just weeks before Beijing will host the Winter Olympics. The government is urging Olympians to get booster jabs. Those reports were from Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle, which may be heard at a combined audio-video website, DW.com, as well as on YouTube at their channel called DW News. Next, Russia's Sputnik Radio. On this program called Going Underground, Afshin Ratansi interviewed Judge Kevin Sharp, lawyer of Leonard Peltier, the indigenous rights activist who remains the longest-serving political prisoner in the United States. He discusses the failing health of Peltier and attempts to appeal to presidents to free him, evidence that he is innocent and not responsible for the murder of two FBI agents, and whether or not COINTELPRO still exists. Sputnik Radio. Well, another street-fighting man known around the world is the USA's longest-serving political prisoner de facto, Leonard Peltier. 
championed by everyone from Nelson Mandela to Subcomandante Marcos to Rage Against the Machine. 45 years ago today, the legendary Native American activist woke up in the US after being extradited from Canada on now withdrawn testimony linking him to the murder of two FBI agents. His arguably discredited trial is now viewed in the context of the FBI's wider COINTELPRO initiative that aimed to stifle dissent and protest within the United States. Now 77 and in ill health, Peltier is looking to US President and mass incarceration architect Joe Biden for clemency. Leonard Peltier's lawyer, Kevin Sharp, joins me now from Nashville, Tennessee. I should say Judge, uh, Judge Sharp. How is the health of Leonard Peltier? Leonard, he's, he's 77 years old. He has multiple health issues. On top of that, you've got raging COVID throughout the Bureau of Prison system. It, it's, it is really touch and go with Leonard's health. Um, he's got some serious issues. That, that really cannot be dealt with within the Bureau of Prison system. We need to get him out. Now, you were appointed a federal judge by uh, Obama, Barack Obama. He couldn't free Peltier. His um, FBI director was James Comey, uh, quite a Correct. famous FBI director. Right. Uh, Bill Clinton couldn't under uh, Louis Free, who was the FBI director right. then. Except now it's all changed. We've got Biden's own Interior yeah. Secretary, uh, Deb Haaland, who said before her appointment that uh, your client should be freed. Surely he can be freed now. You know, could they have freed him? They could. They didn't have the political will to do it. This is all a holdover from the Hoover FBI and the COINTELPRO FBI. That doesn't exist except to the extent that you've still got Leonard Peltier in prison. You need to get Leonard out for all of the reasons that had to do with his now completely discredited trial and extradition from Canada. But you really also, the government needs to do this so that they can break from that old Hoover FBI. Even the uh, U.S. attorney that prosecuted the case now says they don't know who shot these agents. They do know it wasn't Leonard Peltier. They know that much. And so, you know, James Reynolds, who was the U.S. attorney on the case, appointed by uh, appointed by Jimmy Carter, came out with a letter in July to President Biden that says it is time to release Leonard Peltier. That's the former U.S. attorney on the case. I mean, Peltier uh, is uh, convicted of uh, killing Jack Kohler, Ronald Williams. Two life uh, sentences. I know the witnesses have withdrawn uh, their claims at that time. Ballistics, forensics are all, uh, uh, you, you maintain, uh, vindicating him. I mean, well, actually, um, since people may know some of the case of killing the murder of these two FBI agents, is some of the affidavits were withdrawn because they were kind of tortured by the FBI, the witnesses, tied to chairs. The U.S. government does not claim anymore that he shot these agents. They don't know who killed the agents. And his co-defendants were acquitted based on self-defense. What the government ended up doing, once it was discovered that they had exculpatory ballistics evidence that they did not turn over, he was originally convicted of shooting two agents. Then it was determined uh, or revealed that they had exculpatory ballistics evidence. Once that came out, you could no longer say that Leonard Peltier shot anybody because they knew that he had. And so they changed their theory to one of aiding and abetting. So then the question becomes, who did he aid and abet? Because his co-defendants were acquitted based on self-defense. So when the assistant U.S. attorney who tried the case was asked by Steve Croft at 60 Minutes, who did he aid and abet? He said, I don't know, maybe himself. 
Well, that's legally impossible. There was no crime if his co-defendants were acquitted based on self-defense. And you cannot aid and abet yourself. And I know, uh, well, I suspect he was, thought he was being cute and funny and flippant with that answer. But this is somebody's life. This is a criminal justice system in this country that has to mean something. We have a constitution that has to mean something. The government needs this as much as Leonard Peltier needs to go home and spend the remaining days of his life, which are probably not many, back at his Chippewa reservation in North Dakota. But the government needs this because there is no question that COINTELPRO existed. There is no question that COINTELPRO systematically violated the rights of U.S. citizens. Nobody questions that anymore. Of course it happened. What we question now and what the FBI needs to look at, the federal government needs to look at, is does that still exist? And if it doesn't, well, then let's break from that. You've still got a prisoner. There, there are multiple prisoners, though, who were victims of that. You still have one in prison. We now know the violations that happened. We now know the threats and the intimidation against witnesses to testify against him. We now know that ballistics tests proving he didn't shoot anyone were withheld. We now know that there was a racist juror, admitted prejudiced juror, who stayed on the jury. We know all those things, all constitutional violations. Let's end this and let him go home. What would it mean if he took a plea deal, come to think of it? Well, he didn't commit it. He's never going to admit that he committed a crime he did not commit. If he was going to do that, he wouldn't have spent the last 45 years in prison. What it means, though, to release Leonard Peltier is that we can finally start to deal with the issues of our tortured relationship with the Native American community. What they need to do is say, let's release Leonard. Let's admit the mistakes of the past. Let's start to try and heal that relationship. Judge Kevin Sharp, thank you. That excerpted interview is by Afshin Ratansi from his program called Going Underground on Sputnik Radio, the current name for the voice of Russia, available online at rt.com. And on YouTube, search for Going Underground. On to Radio Havana, Cuba. Three retired U.S. Army generals wrote in the Washington Post about their worries of another insurrection in the U.S. in 2024 if the election results are not accepted by rogue units in the U.S. military. The Palestinian Authority has hailed a U.N. General Assembly vote recognizing Palestinian sovereignty over their natural resources. Then a viewpoint on the presidential election in Chile, where Gabriel Boric, a 35-year-old leftist, defeated a far-right candidate, Radio Havana, Cuba. Three retired army generals have penned an article in the Washington Post about the risks of another insurrection in 2024. They highlighted that one in ten of those charged in relation to the Capitol riot in January this year had a service record. The three retired army generals warned of an insurrection or even civil war if the results of the 2024 presidential election were not accepted by rogue units in the military. 
former Major General Paul Eaton, former Major General Antonio Taguba, and former Brigadier General Stephen Anderson made the warnings in the Washington Post over the weekend. They wrote that they were, quote, increasingly concerned about the 2024 election and the potential for lethal chaos inside our military. The three generals highlighted the, quote, disturbing number of veterans and active duty members of the military who took part in the January 6th attack on the Capitol by Trump supporters. More than one of ten of those charged had a service record. They outlined a possible situation in which, after the 2024 election, some service members might pledge loyalty to a, quote, Trumpian loser who refuses to concede defeat and tries to lead a shadow government. The Palestinian Authority, the PA, has hailed a United Nations General Assembly vote recognizing the Palestinian people's sovereignty over their natural resources. The Palestinian Wafa News Agency has reported, citing the contents of the document, that a total of 156 General Assembly members voted in favor of the resolution, against seven negative votes, including one cast by the United States. There were 15 abstentions. The draft resolution, quote, affirms the permanent sovereignty over their natural resources of the Palestinian people in the occupied Palestinian territory, including East Al-Quds, and of the Arab population in the occupied Syrian Golan Heights. Riyad Malki, the Palestinian Authority's foreign minister, welcomed the resolution thanking the countries that voted in its favor. The official called on the international community to force the Israeli regime to implement international resolutions and to guarantee the Palestinian people the freedom of benefiting from their natural resources. The Israeli regime, the statement added, has also has to compensate the Palestinian nations for damaging, depleting, endangering and exploiting their natural resources. Israel itself claimed existence in 1948 after a Western-backed war against Palestinian and other regional territories. With the most powerful turnout in recent years, the Chilean people elected this Sunday as the next president, Congressman Gabriel Boric of the Progressive Coalition Apruebo Dignidad and drove away the ghost of Pinochet's dictatorship that was hovering over the southern country. This process had been described as the most important and significant election since the fall of the coup regime because one of the alternatives, represented by the far-right Jose Antonio Cast, proposed a leap back to the past. Cast went to the polls representing the Republican Party, not the one of the United States, but the one in Chile, but which has few differences with respect to the one that took Donald Trump to the White House. One of the mentors of the South American politician, together with the Brazilian president, Jair Bolsonaro. Cast joined a Christian sector characterized by an almost medieval fundamentalism, especially with regard to women's rights and the recognition of sexual diversity. The danger was substantial, especially because Cast won the first round of the presidential vote with two points over Boric and threatened to repeat his victory supported by the traditional right. As it was said at the time, the only real alternative to avoid this tragedy, which would not only be Chilean but all Latin American and the Caribbean, was to mobilize young people and a part of the indifferent population, as it finally happened. According to official reports, more than 8.3 million citizens participated in this round, of which 4.6 million voted for Boric, who became not only the youngest president-elect in the history of Chile at the age of 35, but also the most voted in recent years.
The task ahead will not be easy, as the new president will have to lead the popular referendum to approve the new constitution that will replace the one inherited from the Pinochet dictatorship and which will represent the pillars, the cornerstone of a different country. On the other hand, he will have to reactivate the economy after the COVID-19 pandemic on a different basis from the neoliberal doctrine currently in use. He must include in the agenda the restructuring of the security apparatus, including the dreaded Grabineros, restoring the population's confidence in the authorities, reforming the pension system and guaranteeing the universality of public services, including education and health. Those reports were from Radio Havana, Cuba. Cuba's website is working well at radiohc.cu, though the podcast links are not updated. On shortwave, Cuba may be heard from noon to 1 p.m. at 15140, and from 5 p.m. to 11 at either 6000, 6060, or 6100. If you have questions or comments about the shortwave report or could assist me by supporting this listener-funded program, I may be reached through the website and PayPal or by writing to Dan Roberts at P.O. Box 1162, Willits, California, 95490. Please help me continue producing this weekly show, which I freely distribute to radio stations and the Internet, like a very good listener in Willits did this week, along with two listeners who give small automatic donations through PayPal. Very helpful. Many, many thanks. We will conclude with NHK World Radio Japan. An anti-nuclear group in Japan discussed the nuclear non-proliferation treaty with government officials. Islamic countries have agreed to establish an international fund to help the Afghan people acquire food and salaries. Japan has also offered a second aid package to Afghanistan. Then COVID and vaccine updates from Asian countries and Britain. NHK Japan. A Japanese anti-nuclear group has met government officials to discuss Japan's stance ahead of a review conference on a nuclear non-proliferation treaty. Representatives of the group visited the foreign ministry on Monday and, and met officials for about one hour. The representatives asked the government to urge nuclear powers to do more to reduce their nuclear arsenals. Officials responded that as the world's only atomic-bombed country, Japan will stress the need to spread an accurate perception about the inhumanity of nuclear weapons. But they maintained their traditional stance that Japan will not join the UN Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons. At first, I had some expectations for Prime Minister Kishida. Considering how diplomacy under him will proceed, the government's stance is unchanged. The representative of the group said he sensed that the government does not understand the voices of Hibaksha, atomic bomb survivors. The review conference of the parties to the Treaty on the Non-Proliferation of Nuclear Weapons is to be held at the UN headquarters in New York next month. Afghanistan is facing a serious humanitarian crisis. Islamic countries have agreed to establish an international fund to provide aid for the country. 
The Organization of Islamic Cooperation held an emergency ministerial meeting on Sunday to address the deteriorating situation in Afghanistan. Representatives from 57 countries and territories in the Middle East, Asia and Africa took part. Pakistani Prime Minister Imran Khan expressed concern that foreign aid and Afghan overseas assets have been frozen since the Taliban takeover in August. The world does not act. This will be the biggest man-made crisis. The members decided to set up a fund as soon as possible to help the Afghan people acquire food as 60% of the population is facing shortages amid the economic turmoil. The fund will also help pay the salaries of public servants and teachers who remain unpaid. The Japanese government has decided to offer a $100 million aid package to Afghanistan amid a humanitarian crisis. The planned assistance is part of the supplementary budget enacted on Monday. This is Japan's second provision of assistance to the country since a takeover by the Taliban. The aid will be used to provide food and water as well as to help improve medical and hygiene conditions through 16 international organizations including the UN World Food Program and UNICEF. The economy is in turmoil more than four months after the Taliban Islamist group took control of the country. 60% of the population does not have sufficient food. People are also facing drought, poverty, and the effects of the pandemic. As the Omicron coronavirus variant continues to wreak havoc across the globe, countries in Asia are stepping up anti-infection measures to prevent a surge in cases. Indonesia confirmed its first Omicron case in Decem- on December 16th. The government will boost restrictions from Friday and keep the tougher measures in place until January 2nd. Travel across provinces will be banned during this time, and events such as sports and concerts will be held without spectators. New Year parades will also be prohibited. Singapore has been accepting vaccinated travelers from about 20 countries, including the United States, Britain and Malaysia, without quarantine. But the country has decided to suspend new ticket sales for flights and buses for quarantine-free travel from Thursday to January 20th. India has confirmed more than 200 Omicron cases so far. The country's health secretary on Tuesday asked state governments to step up anti-infection efforts. These include nighttime curfews and limits on large gatherings. States are urged to take such measures if the rate of positive tests reaches 10% or higher in a week or the occupancy rate of hospital beds equipped with oxygen inhalers tops 40%. Britain's daily count of new coronavirus cases has topped 100,000 for the first time. The government is pushing the use of booster shots and medication to counter the spread. The country reported 106,122 new infections on Wednesday. The daily tally has remained above 90,000 in recent days. The total number of confirmed infections with the Omicron variant exceed 74,000. In London, Omicron cases are believed to account for about 90% of infections. The numbers of deaths and seriously ill patients have not been significantly increasing. But there is a growing sense of crisis within the government. 
Officials are racing to give booster shots by deploying military personnel. The government also announced on Wednesday that it signed contracts to buy a further 4.25 million courses of oral antivirals being developed separately by Merck and Pfizer. The drugs are to prevent coronavirus patients from becoming seriously ill. The government is already rolling out Merck's molnupiravir to those at high risk of becoming seriously ill. Those reports were from NHK World Radio Japan. They are now heard from 8.30 to 9 p.m. at 7.245 and 9.865 or on the web at www.3.nhk.or.jp. All the times I announce are for Pacific Standard Time, so please adjust them to your time zone. One of my goals in producing this show is to encourage people like you to listen to international broadcasts, get a global perspective. Every Thursday evening, I post a new shortwave report at the website for this show. That's outfarpress.com. At my website, you can also listen to past shows, Please consider making a safe donation online through PayPal. There's a link at my website along with the podcast link and get advice for listening at home. The shortwave report, which is now in its 25th year of production, remains free to rebroadcast upon notification. The shortwave report is produced and distributed off the electrical grid in Northern California using solar panels. I'm your host and producer, Dan Roberts. Thanks for listening.